welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, let me pray for us as we begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, you speak mysteries in your word, and it is an immense responsibility to apply and adore those mysteries to the everyday stuff that we're walking through. And so we ask you to help us, that your Holy Spirit would guide us into the way of life as we look at Jesus' power today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we just finished up a sermon series on the book of Ephesians last week. And you can go back to listen to all the sermons that we've ever done uh, on our website. If you go to ccamicanchurch.org slash sermons, you can follow the sermons there so you can find the sermon series on Ephesians. And in the the letter to the Ephesians, St. Paul had ended on this really um, high tone, uh, encapsulating the whole letter with the idea of fighting spiritual evil. And and the kind of spiritual evil that he's talking about threatens the unity that we have in the church and the new life that we have in Christ. That's how he ends the letter. So for the next three weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the gospel passages that are in the lectionary. That's our series of readings that we follow. And then in the beginning of October, we're going to be starting a new sermon series and, and look at the New Testament lectionary passages, which are in the book of Hebrews. So we'll be looking at the book of Hebrews together beginning in November. In our gospel passage this morning, we come to spiritual warfare, which is so fitting in, in follow-up from last week. Um, and I imagine that this spiritual warfare was um, perhaps even more brazen than the kind that St. Paul was imagining, but maybe not. In this section of St. Mark's gospel Jesus is slowly making his way to Jerusalem over several chapters. And uh, when he gets to Jerusalem, that's where he will be crucified. That's where he'll rise from the dead. In this exorcism, this is the fourth and the final exorcism in the Gospel of Mark. And what it shows is that Jesus is more powerful than any demonic presence. He's more powerful than any presence in heaven and on earth. And and that's important for the readers who are thinking about the empire and political rule. Um, They need to know that in their context. And we need to know that Jesus is more powerful than anything we're going to encounter in heaven or in the realm that we can't see. Ultimately, uh, in predicting his death, he's even going to show in the next passage that we'll get to next week that he is more powerful than death itself. And there are circumstances that happen to us. There are seasons that we go through that I think directly threaten our ability to trust in Jesus' power or to trust that he is over all things or that he has what's best for us in mind. Maybe even this week you may have hit a wall and you're feeling overwhelmed by something that just seems like it's insurmountable. From this passage, from the gospel passage this morning, We come to learn that if we find ourselves discovering that something feels too powerful for Jesus, then what we should do is we should rest in his compassion. We should look for his power. And we should let his prior faithfulness 
give us patience as we're waiting. When we struggle to find Jesus and his power to be enough for something, we need to examine the things that we look to for rest and hope. That comes from verses 14 through 19. In, in this narrative today, James, John, and Peter have, are just uh, coming down to meet the rest of the disciples with Jesus. They're coming from a literal mountaintop experience as they've come down from the mountain of transfiguration where they have been raptured by heavenly glory. They've seen God's glory in the transfiguration. And then they come down off the mountain and they're confronted with earthly turmoil that's resulted from the ministry of Jesus. Jesus had earlier commissioned all of his disciples to go and to cast out demons as part of the extension of his ministry. And if you go back to chapter 6 in the Gospel of Mark, they actually are successful in doing that. So in chapter 9, though, the disciples are unsuccessful in casting this particular demon out. And it isn't clear why they're unsuccessful. There's no uh, exact reason given, but what's clear for those who are more prone to disdain this connection between Jesus and the work of God, this failure seems to be the proof that they need to disavow that Jesus uh, has come from God. So the critics in this case are emboldened. The disciples are feeling incredibly disheartened. And the man whose son is demon-possessed is left in this place without answers and with hope slowly ebbing away. And it's not an uncommon experience in the life of the Christian, um, the, the life of somebody who's following Jesus to be in that place. There are things that you and I can't understand and, and much less explain to other people. And when those moments come, it's easy to find ourselves in a place where Jesus' critics are emboldened, where we feel incredibly discouraged, and where those who are expecting God's healing feel like they are without hope. Perhaps on any given day, you could be in one of those three categories. I don't know where we're at this morning, but perhaps some days it's like, aha, I'm so fed up with the followers of Jesus. See, I was right this whole time. This can't be right. Perhaps some days we're like the disciples and we're saying, man, Jesus, I have worked so hard for you. Right? Like, why, why are things not working out like you told me they would? Or perhaps you find yourself in the place of the father of the demon-possessed son, ex- expecting to find healing from Jesus amongst his followers, and instead you find that that didn't happen, and your hope is just slipping away slowly. So Jesus comes into the midst of that, and he asks them, so what are you all arguing about? And that's in verse 16, and, and the, the father comes and he says, I have brought my son for healing, and your disciples couldn't cast the demon out. And again, there's no clear cause and effect of why that doesn't happen. God's not that transactional. And there's a problem when we think he is. He could have blamed any one person. He could have said it was the disciples' problem. He could have said it was the fault of the crowds. He could have said it was the fault of the Father. But instead, Jesus cast this very wide net kind of over all of it as a culture. And he says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you in verse 19? So there are a lot of factors going on of why this is happening. Perhaps it was the grumbling and the lack of obedience of the crowds. Perhaps it was the lack of the faith of the father, the disciples lack of persistence in prayer, Uh, probably all of it. Overall, this picture that Jesus is painting 
is of a a generation that is rebellious against God. Like one of the prophets would call out in the Old Testament. And he's walking into this culture of unbelief. In the power and in the compassion of God. At multiple levels of society. And so it's no wonder that this demon is overpowering the very work that's involved. And the crowds, the disciples, and the man are all then, when Jesus asked the question, they're all indirectly invited to examine what their trust is in. What are they trusting in? Where do they find their rest is another way I find helpful to ask that question. They were all feeling like this demon was too powerful for Jesus. And he's inviting them to find rest in his compassion. And then to look for his power to save. If there's doubt about Jesus' power, then what we can do is believe in his compassion. We struggle at first to believe in Jesus' power. Start with the easier thing, which is to believe that Jesus is compassionate for you. They brought the boy to Jesus. The boy immediately convulses, and he's writhing on the ground. He's foaming at the mouth. It's terrifying. Jesus asks the man, how long has this child been like this? And he says, it's been that way since his childhood. And I'm struck by this statement that the father makes in verse 22. He says, if if you can do anything, have compassion and help us. It's a statement from, from a father who has lost all of his hope. This man has no hope. If you can do anything at all, anything, his faith and his understanding have been negatively impacted by what the followers of Jesus couldn't do. The man in this scenario doesn't trust the compassion or the action of God in the work of Jesus. He maybe is perhaps listening to those voices of those critics which are getting louder and and more compelling as time goes on. And as he's looking at the lack of results from the followers of Jesus, and so he's without hope. And I do think it is not an easy thing. Um, It is really hard to live with loss and and disappointment and unmet expectations. And we all have it. And if there is a culture of unbelief that undergirds that loss and that disappointment, that unmet expectation, then it is really easy to lose our hope. But by contrast, when trust in Christ becomes the thing that undergirds those places of loss, disappointment, unmet expectations, then faith is strengthened and we learn to bring people directly to Jesus. It can be easy to struggle to see where God's power exists in these different points of pain that we go through. But it's in those moments that we need to entrust ourselves to the compassion of God as an act of faith. The man in the story didn't do this yet. Uh, he was one step behind that. Instead, he says, if you can, have compassion and help us. So Jesus' reply is essentially this. What do you mean, if I can? Of course I can. All things are possible for the one who believes. And I want to be careful with that statement because um, that can be misused. And so I don't want to give the impression that if someone isn't healed of physical illness, then it's because of their lack of faith. There's all sorts of abuses that happen as a result of that idea. That would be to read way too much into what's happening right here. What St. Mark is saying is that there is no power in heaven or on earth that is more powerful 
than the person of Jesus. And we could also add that there is no one else who cares more deeply for the wholeness and the well-being of his people than Jesus does. It doesn't mean that the Christian life is without suffering. There's a really helpful book by Reverend Tish Warren called Prayer in the Night. And she says this, God is not a sadist who delights in using agony to teach us a lesson. But in the alchemy of redemption, God can take what is only sorrow and transform it into the very path by which we learn to love God and let ourselves be loved by God. Building a community that trusts Christ's power and compassion begins with you and I individually. It gives meaning to suffering, and it looks forward to God's redemption with hope. It invites us to examine the things that we are trusting in, to examine the things that we are finding rest in. The man finally says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus shows that in his power in two ways. First, he exercises the demon. And second, he effectually calls it and commands it never to return. Those are important things. So notice that when the demon leaves, the boy falls down like a corpse. And instead of remembering how Jesus can raise the dead, as he had done several chapters before with Jairus' daughter, a number of people say essentially, well, it looks like this child is dead. Um, And the implication is that Jesus apparently has lost. But then see how Mark sets up the contrast. What he says is the crowds and the onlookers suppose the boy to be dead. And then he says in verse 27, but Jesus grasped his hand. Then he raised him up and he stood. It's surprising. It's counter to everybody's expectations. And it builds the faith of the boy's father. And it builds the faith of all who are looking on at what's happening. And it silences the critics um, for a little bit anyways. You and I need those reminders that there is no one more powerful, uh, no one who cares more deeply for us than God himself when suffering comes. When we're tempted to doubt, when we feel like hope is ebbing away. And so keep those reminders of God's past faithfulness. Maybe you journal and maybe write those down somewhere, but take note of them. If we find ourselves that something feels like it's too powerful for Jesus, We have to rest in his compassion. And then we got to look for his power. And we need to let his prior faithfulness give us patience as we're waiting. The disciples came to Jesus at the very end. And they asked, what went wrong? Um, It's a logical question. Because they've been successful in the past. They've done exorcisms. So perhaps they had started to rely on those past successes. As the basis for their future successes. We don't know. But what Jesus, um, Jesus says to them is that this kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer. The disciples' inability to cast out the demon, it, it makes Jesus look more glorious when he just walks in and he speaks the word. And the demon's cast out and the boy is raised up. So we should be careful again. Don't read this as like a roadmap for modern exorcism. Um, Other than to say, we should pray and pray. And when you get tired of praying, pray more. St. Paul would say pray unceasingly. Um, Instead of a roadmap, maybe think of it as a call for help. When I 
went to visit somebody a few years ago. I stayed at their house for about two hours chatting with them. I left to come back home. And on my drive home about two minutes in, there was this terrible screeching noise in my tires that sounded like metal clanging. It was awful, but there was no light indicator. Um, so I needed to pull over. There was Nearby there was a 24 hour gym. I pulled into that parking lot. The engine light still wasn't on. I walked around the car. All the tires were, looked fine. Um, I inspected the car. I popped the hood. Not like I knew what I was looking for, but I did that. Uh, and then nothing was wrong. And, and it was about 10 p.m. at that point. I knew that I needed a lifeline. And so I called the tow service, but they couldn't get there till 1 p.m. or 1 a.m. the next morning. And I decided that, okay, I'm just gonna leave this car in the parking lot. I'll come and deal with it tomorrow. So the next morning I called the tow service. They came, they got it, they took it to the mechanic. Ultimately, what happened with the car, there was like a pebble smaller than the size of a penny, and it had wedged its way somewhere in the brake system, and that's what was making the noise of metal rubbing on metal. It was just little tiny pebble. Nothing was wrong with the car. They took it out. They didn't even charge me. It was an easy fix, but it was something that I could not have done myself. I needed the tow company right then as a lifeline. The tow company and the mechanic, they had resources and knowledge that I just didn't have. If I had spent more time and energy trying to figure out what was wrong with that car, I never would have. I would have just been angry, frustrated, exhausted, and continually losing hope for the recovery of that car. So I recognized that that was completely beyond me, and I called for help. And I think prayer is an act and it's a habit of faith that recognizes that you and I are in, always in need of God's help. Sometimes we're not even sure what the thing is that we need help with, but we know we do need help. And if we cultivate this disposition of prayer and faith and dependence on God's power and His compassion, then when those darkest trials arise, we meet them in trust in the power and in the compassion of God. Reverend Tish in that same chapter says, there are things in our spiritual lives too that only bloom in the dark. There are things in our spiritual lives too that only bloom in the dark. When we find ourselves discovering that something feels like it's too powerful for Jesus, we need to rest in his compassion. We need to look for his power and we need to let his prior faithfulness guide and give us patience as we're waiting for future faithfulness. Let us pray. O Lord our God, accept the fervent prayers of your people. In the multitude of your mercies, look with compassion upon us and all who turn to you for help. For you are gracious, O lover of souls, and to you we give glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.